Thanks for tuning into the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Bria Rao, Executive Editor at Glossy. And today's guest is Jessica Heron, the CEO of Stella and Dot. Hi, Jessica. How are you? Hi, Priya. I'm so good, and I'm glad to be speaking with you. So, Jessica, you know, when we spoke in January, you know, Stella and Dot and your brand, Stella and Dot Ever and Keep, had really kind of like a very accelerated digital strategy already in place with the that's right uh, with the onboarding of Mimi and being al- allowing your uh, specialists to be able to sell cross brands across beauty, across fashion, across accessories. Um, so that was a pretty ambitious plan in January. How has that shifted over the course of the last, you know, five or six months? Well, I am so grateful that we started out on this journey several years ago because it is not a recent thing to see people shifting to digital behavior over in-person experiences. Uh, that's been a trend we've seen in our business for the last four years where we could see the rate of shift from people shopping online to in-person such that we knew online would eclipse in-person sales. So we've been preparing a business model for the next decade of impact of economic empowerment of women. And that vision for us looked like a create your own shop that's digital, merchandise it with the products that you're truly passionate about, so that you can authentically recommend it to friends and have complementary types of products so that you could build, you know, a big a customer base that it broadly appealed and that you were really doing something different than regular e-commerce. You were authentically offering recommendations. So we launched this in January. It just, you know, finished our rollout uh, at the end of February and then shelter in place hit in March. So it was just such a good timing in the sense that right when everyone had to stay at home, we launched our personalized shops, really the end of this digital vision. So now if you go to stellad.com slash Jessica, you can really see the fruition of this vision uh, where people have their own stores. And, and um, I thank my lucky stars that that was our timing. Because if we were reliant on selling accessories in person rather than um, skincare and accessories, you know, all digitally, uh, we would be in serious trouble. And it's our mission that would be impacted. That's people's ability to earn, which with 20% unemployment is, is more important to us than ever. How do you think that's necessarily played into what you guys do and is part of your core? Because, you know, although people are getting a little bit more help from the government right now in terms of unemployment mm-hmm. benefits. That's about to run out in July. <laughs> and, you know, like you said, unemployment is about 20% right now and claims are going up weekly. So have you seen an increase in representatives wanting to be part of the sell and yes. ever and keep families? Yes. You know, when we started this, I started this out of my living room while I had another full-time job and I did uh, nights and weekends and people thought I was crazy because I'd been an e-commerce entrepreneur. And then I started this home-based thing that people had these very outdated notions of. And for me, it was about the mission of impact, about being able to provide an alternative way for people to earn and learn on their own terms, for women to have flexibility. And at that point, we really started growing when unemployment was at eight and 9%. 
And in some ways you could say the growth of our business was somewhat counter-cyclical because when people had a greater financial need, not only did you see more people join, but you saw the people that did join work more and earn more. And that's really a key thing because people can join and sell a few orders a month and enjoy a discount. But people can also choose to crank when they need it or feel less certain about their income and suddenly turn that into a much larger earning opportunity. So we've seen both. We have seen an increase in enrollment and we've seen people within our brands who did it a couple hours a week really start to invest in it. And we've also seen a shift in category and more of a rapid embracing of selling across brand out of necessity. When you say shift in category, since you do touch beauty, fashion, and accessories, what would you say? Well, for us in March, March was a very scary month. (laughs) And that is due to the fact that we launched travel bags. Our bags are a big category for us. You know, they're great. They're, They're versatile. They're washable. They're stylish. They're all these great things. But when you launch travel bags in March and gym bags, guess how that went? You know, not great. Uh, so we were really concerned, you know, we, people, we saw a very swift drop in March. Uh, and I had concerns that we would not be able to ship, you know, that our business could truly be shut down simply because we wouldn't be able to operate our fulfillment center. And where's your fulfillment center, Jessica? In Ohio, in Ohio. And I'm so grateful for our leadership there because they very quickly, adopted and put in place things to take care of our, our, our home office team. So we had every, you know, elaborate things happen quickly to make sure we had social distancing and safety and health checks very early on. So we were able to have continuity of operation that what we found was people shifted from, okay, I'm not going to buy a a gym bag right now, but I am going to go into self-care and our clean beauty business with ever radically grew, radically grew so much that we went from a pause in business as people acclimated to kids home from school and, you know, watching the news every day and to embracing self-care so much so that we had started having inventory problems where we were out of stock. Um, And then in, we did, so we saw a massive growth in our skincare business Uh, What we've seen lately, though, that is very interesting is perhaps the Zoom-influenced accessories. Um, Earrings are huge for us. We found when we launched our summer collection, which came out in May, it was supposed to last for eight weeks from an inventory buy. It lasted for two days, and it blew out the door. So we have seen what we initially feared as an absolute pause in demand surge back. And that's due to people becoming more active, more enrollers, and people looking for this um, affordable, cheerful way to express themselves and feel good about themselves, even if they're just going to see people on a Zoom call or go out in their neighborhood while they're wearing a mask. You know, I what, what's always impressed me, Jessica, about um, your brands is that it is very curated. You're not trying to be in every category. You're not selling hand sanitizer. You're not selling, you know, you're not over skewing your assortment. I think one time you said to me that it's about creating the best of the best in certain right. categories and differentiated product. So within that, have there been any sort of surprises? Because, you know, skincare is something that we're seeing beauty industry wide as, 
you know, people are really developing an appetite for as they can't go to get their salon treatments or spa treatments. So what are you kind of seeing in that regard? Well, first of all, as an entrepreneur who's had the privilege of going out and, you know, doing what an entrepreneur does is basically researching and learning from industry experts and figuring out where's the hole, where's the opportunity, what's broken for the consumer, how do you fix it? So for us in skincare, I really thought about it as a customer of like, what, I don't really know what to do. And yet here I am going to the dermatologist, going to the superstore, and I'm confused because of the dizzying array of options, all the marketing mumbo jumbo. And like, basically I just want something that works and that's healthy. Like what works, what's healthy. And I trust girlfriend's recommendations far more than I do promises of peptides, right? So I have learned that it's about the concentration. It's about truly having science in the ingredients and you, you really do need to use things consistently over time. So with us, with, with product development, we make sure that it's girlfriend approved and we keep that at a very high bar, meaning I'm going to look you in the eye and be like, trust me, this stuff is so good. I use it on my own face and it's a 45 day money back guarantee. So like, just try it. <laughs> and, and yes, it has all these other ingredients and, and things that we can back up why it works and why it's different, but we're not going to rush to market and put our brands and a girlfriend recommendation behind something that I should honestly tell you, if I were your girlfriend, you should just buy this at the drugstore because it does the same thing in a different bottle. So if we did do something around germ purification, it would only be a multi-benefit product that address the signs of aging and nourishment in your hands at the same time. And that takes time and money to invest in and get right. And I'd rather do that because our model of direct community, you're putting your trust and your reputation behind it. And I'm only going to do something that I would truly tell people to do. And it's like a good thing to do with your money and all the other options you have. So that does, and, it, and we, we also do take the lens of our business of given our mission is to help people earn money. We want to be in categories where they're going to be able to do that, where we we can stand apart, where we have a competitive advantage, where we truly differentiate, and it's not a, a red ocean category. So we do, you know, assort to make sure that our ambassadors are adding value to the product experience and are able to earn money when they share it. Jessica, I remember last year you told me that, you know, you guys spent, I believe, $50 million on like the technology capabilities mm-hmm. of the companies going into this year. Is that correct? About that's, that? that? That is right. Over the last four years, it's now more than that. Yeah. Over the last four years, we've had to build what we couldn't buy because it didn't exist. And that's a community centric commerce model where a recommendation and personalized recommendations for individuals is at the center of how people shop and share what they love. So how does that kind of investment pair back to, say, a product investment? You know, when you're making decisions as a CEO, as a leader in a company, is it about creating the next new trendy item that could or could not work? Or is it about this kind of um, leveraged technology that is going to maybe, you know, be the new Instagram or be the new Polyvore or Pinterest? I, I, well, one, I believe that when you're running a business, there's different functions that all add up to the magic of your success. And I'd like to make the example to health, right? How your overall health isn't just about exercise. Exercise is critical. You've got to move your body, you got to stretch your body, you got to have muscles, you got to, you know, do cardio for your heart health. It's, there's complexity in that one function, but that alone isn't going to work unless you're also watching your, your nutrition 
and then your sleep. <laughs> and so in our business, we are really three things. That analogy, we are a people first business where we focus on is what we're doing good for our mission of economic empowerment of all women. That is our first and foremost filter. And it, it, and for the world in sustainability, ethical practices. And then in second, is their product uh, worthy to get the, not just the sale, but the repeat and the referral. Like it's legit, better and different. And then is the customer experience, uh, the delivery method enabled by technology, uh, saving people time and money and bringing them joy? Because <laughs> if it's those three things together that define why shopping through our social retail innovation is better than shopping at a Amazon and getting it with Prime or going down High Street or Main Street and picking it up that way or getting it off of a, a great e-commerce department store. So to me, it's about creating differentiation and you have to invest with full heart and full passion and full partnership, right? Full expertise in every single area in order to nail it in order to really create what's next. And I, I really do believe the way we've created our digital platform, it is what's next in retail and e-commerce. And e Browse commerce is just done. Who, who wants to go to a website and search and come up with a thousand options and you know look for reviews that may or may not be real and, and rather than get a curated assortment text to you with personalized recommendations, where it may come in our model, it comes from an ambassador, but she's using our technology so that it's a high tech, high touch recommendation. Um, there is intelligence in what she's sharing with you. And then she's adding her spin on it uh, to, to deliver a, a great recommendation to you that you can easily check out on your phone. And your try on maybe at home these days, rather than something touching and feeling in, in person experience, but you've got free returns. So there's no risk for the consumer. So you're saving time, you're saving money, and you've got discovery and delight um, as part of it. So I really do believe that retail was already in trouble pre-COVID, right? Th this is something we need to understand that these industries are like the patient that had pre-existing conditions, right? The mall traffic was already down. Digital shift was already happening. And so this is going to accelerate it. And at the end of the day, it's what's in it for the customer. Is my product better? Is my digital experience innovative? And that's, that's what will define the companies that, that triumph and grow from this. You know, Jessica, I know that some of your ambassadors are micro-influencers, are mid-tier influencers in their own right. But on industry-wide, we're hearing from other companies, from other brands, that they're going to be spending 40% less on influencers next year, influencer marketing, because they don't know if they can afford it and they don't know if... Um, the influencer is actually creating that dotted line to sales and traffic, et cetera, et cetera. How does this kind of formula, how is that insulated for you? Because these people may or may not be influencers and they are ambassadors for you. Well, I'm so glad you asked that because when I think about the economic opportunity for women, right, when we started early on, it, may, it was, okay, many people want to have an eBay store. They certainly don't want their, you know, their mother's generation home-based business. They want something that is tech-enabled and has the benefit of earning, even if they share in person, they also want to be able to sell online. So when you look though at what the opportunities were there, they really have some gotchas. Like you've got to source the inventory, you got to ship the inventory. There's a lot of time, there's a lot of risk. 
If you sell on Etsy, that's great, but you got to be a maker to do that. That takes specific pre-existing skill and it can take a lot of time. You have to come out front with cash to buy the products. You got to market it. In our business, we have looked at how does the every woman make money and make money fast and be able to pay a real bill. And she can do this on the side of another full-time job and, and, and do it fast. She didn't have to go to school to learn to be a graphic designer. She doesn't have to do, you know, she can earn money fast, right? That's our goal. So when I look at what's going on in the gig economy, first, I will say that the gig economy leaves women behind. You can look at the millennials that have gigs, 50%. However, for women, do you know what 50% of them are doing for gigging? Dog sitting in childcare, earning a wage they could have done before they had all that college debt. So, so to me, you can talk about the gig economy, but when you look at what's happening for women, it really isn't helping with paying incremental money for incremental savings, investing, you know, all, all those good stuff. So then you look at what's appealing and you think, wow, it'd be awesome to be an influencer and sell money online. The reality is most people are not going to build the content and the following to have that, nor do they have any desire to do that. So our model is not built for someone who, I mean, certainly people do it and they do it very well when they do have a a following already. But if you're an influencer, you're earning a small commission amount. It may be 7%, maybe 4%, and you're getting it 30 days from now. And you're at the mercy of the algorithm of Instagram, of doing brand deals, of in our model, you get paid weekly 20 to 40%. So for we're really tapping into the every woman who does have influence, but with her social circle, that may be 300 people. And then we have programs that help you go beyond friends because we have referral rewards, but it isn't dependent on you actually being an influencer or actually going and securing your own brand deal because that it, it may look good, but I feel like the chances of that are like going to Hollywood and trying to become an actress. You know, it isn't actually a high probability (laughs) for people to go pay a bill that way today. So go for it. If that's your dream, but that's not what our platform is built for. It's built to optimize success for the every woman. Will you describe who you think that every woman is um, in your community, like where she is, like psychographically, yes. demographically, how old she is? So, you know, this is the thing. I, I love busting this myth because I still think people think of our model and they hear, you know, social selling and they think of it as like a direct sales, you know, home party. And it's for a stay at home soccer mom and Honestly, that woman doesn't even really exist anymore in the population like she did in the 50s, right? Our seller, uh, 85 plus percent have other full or part-time jobs outside the home. They are doctors, lawyers, teachers, nurses, uh, peach farmers, cattle ranchers. They are urban. They are suburban. They are recent college grads. They are mother-daughter teams of a college grad and a empty nester. We have a, um, I'll give you a couple examples. We do have someone who's in college and she's amazing and she kills it. She does great. She does all kinds of video editing and the way that she shares her product. And she's awesome. We have another woman who's in her seventies. She's a retired principal and she's also amazing. And she 
sells to her social group, she also uses social media. Um, we have a lot of doctors that sell our skincare brand because they're impressed with the clean ingredients and the clinical results. At the same time, we have a lot of other people that sell our skincare, skincare brand that have no <laughs> science background or skincare experience. We have estheticians. Hair. So the diversity is great. I think the psychographic is they're passionate about the product. And that's what they join because they believe in the product. They enjoy getting a discount for sure. And then they have hope that they can share it and earn money. Most people get into it without thinking, without deciding whether or not it's going to be a big deal for them. Then they try it right, because the cost of entry is low and then decide where they want to take it. And um, they surprise themselves. So these are all different types of very busy people that do this. Will you talk about the diversity piece? Because obviously that's something that's happening in the national conversation related to what happened to George Floyd in Minneapolis. And, you know, corp yes. companies and cultures are really being shaken by the call to action that they expect leaders to help lead. So from your perspective, are you allowing or trying to enable like more diversity in the kinds of women that you are onboarding or different kinds of opportunities there? Absolutely. And I will tell you, this has been very uh, heart and eye opening for me, because if you had asked me before, if we were diverse enough, I would say absolutely not. And when I look at our leaderboard for our sales, I am so proud of their accomplishments. But every moment at our sales conference, I would have this, you know, almost feeling of shame in my gut because I'd look and it would be all Caucasian. And I'd think to myself, what are we doing wrong? And, and, it, I, and it's a very conflicted moment because I should be grateful and celebrating these remarkable women. And it, it's a happy moment. But at the same time, every year I'd sit there and like kind of hang my head in shame and be like, what are we doing wrong? Because technically we're checking the list off. We're doing these things, you know? And I think that what I, we have a diversity council where we have diversity in our models. I, but I think what I've, really come to see, and I think a lot of companies are waking up to, is we're not even doing close to enough. And that we're doing it um, as if there's, you know, as if it's a light issue, that if we just have diversity in our images, that's going to fix it. And the reality is it's not. So George Floyd is a tipping point for uh, the world. And we've done several actions since then. In fact, yesterday and today, we've brought in this incredible organization, Joy Collective. It's an African-American women-owned business that helps companies, not just with diversity inclusion, but uh, marketing to African-American populations, Black population. But we have gotten this recommendation. We reached out and we're doing, for our internal home office and our field, a session on cultural immersion, Black identity in America. And, and why I'm making this point is we had this call yesterday. It was incredibly opening. It's Black history. And, and you'd think to myself, what are we doing as a company and a community to become more diverse? We got to start there. We start with education on Black history and Black identity. You, it is not a short-term thing where just because we have these hiring practices, I can say we intended to be diverse, but we've had to, we've really said we got to commit to outbounding and recruiting with typical black, it was, you know, typically black colleges. We have to do a lot more. We have to try a lot harder. We have to do more listening sessions. We have to do, you know, there's things that we were not a mandatory must have 
part of our work that need to be. And um, so we've changed, you know, we're changing, we're, we're trying, but I can tell you, it's definitely been a wake up call for me as a, a leader. Like I knew something was wrong just based on our results. Um, we're very diverse from a minority, you know, population, um, and, and but not black and a very diverse from a female population, but not black women in leadership. And that's what we need to hold ourselves more accountable for and really examine the actions and how consistent and different they truly need to be to change our, you know, our heart is we want to be an economic platform for all women. And, and we, I can be proud of some things we do, but you know, not all. And, and I think all companies are, I hope more companies are waking up to being an ally in action. You know, Jessica, you said something there where it's about imagery and, you know, making sure that the imagery is inclusive. And and I know that your imagery is, um, of course. But, you know, when you think about how that extends to, say, product or merchandising or what you want to do more of in the next, you know, six to nine months, is that also where your head is at? You know, I would say that's an interesting one. I think when you our particular products with what we do... Um, we formulate by skin type. There, there are things that you think about from a range uh, of skin. Uh, we don't do as much color. Color is where you really need to think about inclusivity with shades. And so that's not as much our focus as skincare is. So with that, we do test and think about diversity of really skin concerns, <laughs> you know, that, that cover off on that. But and then with when it comes to accessories, size inclusivity is where you go. But that's actually, frankly, it's an easier category to be inclusive. Um, you know, it, it, for us, I think our hole and our blind spot is what are we doing to make everyone feel comfortable in our community and in our home office? But it isn't as much about our product. And when we talk to our diversity council and our ambassadors where they want to hold us to task, interestingly, product doesn't come up as much as it is um, where I look and say, gosh, have I ever gone to our employees and said, are, are we, are we inclusive? <laughs> are we, are, are we racist? You know, like honestly, honestly having those conversations and, you know, I've never done that. And we clearly need to look at ways in which we're doing that. But product isn't one of those factors. At this point, I always say though, I need to be open-minded. Maybe I have a blind spot there, but it isn't something that is top of mind for us today. When you think about um, kind of like the larger landscape right now, and, you know, I've seen a lot of other social selling companies really kind of see exponential growth right now, you know, whether it's a beauty counter Mm -hmm. or even Avon trying to revamp themselves. Why do you think that that has become such an option again for women when, you know, it used to have this kind of image associated with that? Well, that one, I love to clear up that myth because- First of all, the, the key reason why people have a stigma against this personal sales model is they're thinking of the days and bad actors. So there was a time in which there's an inventory component of the model where someone would buy product, resell it, and then they would earn money if they enrolled another person who bought product with the intention to resell it. And it would eventually become a pyramid scheme because there was inventory loading and channel stuffing and people had credit card debt and inventory in their garages and not cash in their pocket. When we started from the beginning, we eliminated that risk because you are not allowed to carry inventory and we ship direct to customers. So you really can't do that, nor do we pay money 
when you enroll someone. We only share compensation commission when you sell to a legitimate customer where you do not carry inventory and the customer has free returns. So there's no customer pressure. There's no inventory loading. So you really eliminate that. Second is ick factor comes from when you're just kind of spamming people on Facebook and not adding any value, which is why when we talked about digital sales, we invested in building that personal service platform so that you're truly in the business of service, not spam. And I think those are the two issues that people have with that model. And if you are looking at a company that doesn't do that, now now there are still bad actors out there and people should be skeptical of those. We just don't operate remotely in that ballpark. Uh, and, and I think that there are companies where what was really driving that growth isn't even necessarily changes in stigma, it's economic need. If you look at the, if you were to correlate the unemployment rate with the acceleration, there is what I always look at as like R squared equals one. It is totally correlated. You know, it is people have a need and then they go find a way to earn money and also to get a discount. Remember, a big allure here is that you save on things you'd be buying anyway. So if it's truly something you would be buying anyway, as skincare is for, for many people, there is there is that. There is that advantage. And many people um, really are enrolling with the intention to just buy at a discount. So oftentimes when media will look and criticize the model, they'll say, but look at all these people who aren't earning a lot of money. You're like, but when you, if you were to survey their intention when they enrolled, they're actually, they were never trying to earn money and they're not really putting in a lot of time. They're basically enrolling, saving on their purchase and then selling to a couple people a month. And so they're kind of breaking even. So it's almost like an affiliate, right? It's yeah, almost like an affiliate goal. marketing. Right. Yeah. So, so to kind of, that's like saying people who shop at Costco aren't earning money, you know, because <laughs> you're right. They're not because that's not the program they're enrolled in. So there is a lot more. Uh, clarity in the or in the industry to differentiate between people who are really personal shoppers versus people who are salespeople. And when you look at it that way, they have far fewer numbers. So when we define our ambassadors, we're talking about the people to sell to other people versus discount shoppers. So when you look at that number, um, you may find that you really understand that growth and people have a lot fewer sellers than, than they report. They have just a, a lot of personal shoppers too. And you have about 30,000 ambassadors, correct? Is that about right? Yes. But if I were to break it down to the people actively selling on a monthly basis, you'll find that number is about eight to 10. Wow. Wow. But, but again, there's seasonality in that, right? So some people, this is not as true in COVID. However, Teachers who sell only during the summer, accountants that don't sell during tax time, people who use this as a seasonal work job, like they just sell during the holidays. That's why that number is uh, uh, the activity rate is just a portion because people use it as seasonal work. So Stella and Dot and your brands were live, you know, during the last economic recession. And you obviously had a lot of learnings in that as you kind of played the company forward. What would you say is different about this time and how are you preparing for growth and forecasting for the rest of the year? Well, those are great questions. And so first of all, what we're doing to prepare for growth now is obsessing about the customer, staying completely focused on our mission, and 
deserving the sale, the repeat and the referral. That's what you always have to do to focus on growth. And, and to me, what's different than a decade ago during our last economic crisis is the consumer preference is changed. And the way that a person wants to share and the way a person wants to shop is very different. And you are, whether you're talking about Gen Z or millennial, we have surveyed, not our ambassadors or customers, but a blind audience of a thousand people in our target demographic around uh, the age of 30. And when we look, tested our model of having a, a online virtual shop that you can sell cross category and your the brand is really about you. You get to put your, up your image. You get to personalize your page. You get to share your recommendations. That tests far more positive than the model we had 10 years ago or that other companies have today where you're a representative of another brand. People prefer to be, they themselves are the brand and they represent things that they choose and curate. They feel more authentic. So we've really re-engineered our model to deliver that. Customers like it better. Sellers like it better. And we were already getting digital. And people want a cross-category opportunity. So that's why we are looking at taking our platform and our, our group of micro-influencers and opening up our business to third-party brands that they can be part of the style boards and the recommendations that our ambassadors bring to life because that's what feels authentic to them. And that's how the consumer wants to shop. So we have to not have a fixed mentality of what we are as a business. We're not an accessories company that sells through homes parties. (laughs) We're a modern earning platform for today's woman who wants to lead with customer service and excellent product. And that's what we've created ourselves to be. And that's what I think powers the next decade. Now, inventory and growth is always a challenge. (laughs) We are, as I said, blowing out of inventory because of a rapid change in not only increased enrollment, but increased activity of the existing ambassadors. So our ambassadors and our customers are on wait lists for products. We sold, we have this amazing smooth peptide lip plumping product we sold 5,000 in a matter of days, right? The, this is, we keep doing that. We keep, you know, going so quickly that we are radically working on increasing our, our supply and, and addressing that. And Jessica, would you say that, you know, beauty specifically is going to become a bigger bet for your brands? It absolutely is. We've accelerated our product roadmap. Um, we already had formulations, long time and testing and works. And we've fortified that um, with our ever proprietary ingredients, our patented ingredients, with our proprietary complexes. But we are bringing to market more within beauty uh, and very excited for those upcoming launches. Thank you so much, Jessica. It was great having you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for tuning into the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Tune in next week for another episode. And if you know someone or more than one who should be listening to the Glossy Beauty Podcast, please have them subscribe. See you next week.